broadcast friends. Welcome back to Corbett Report Radio. I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, thanking you once again for joining us this evening for the, tonight's edition of Corbett Report Radio here on Republic Broadcasting. And here we are on the 11th of another month, and yet again we see just signs of calamity and damage and destruction tearing its way across the globe. And this time it comes in the form of another earthquake, a very, very large earthquake in the Indian Ocean. And I think we've probably all heard the reports by now, but taking my cue from ctv.ca, Indian Ocean quake causes panic, little damage. And this uh, report reads, Before officials announced the threat had passed without major incident, two powerful earthquakes and their subsequent tsunami alerts sparked a few hours of panic and concern in countries across the Indian Ocean Wednesday. After several hours of tense anticipation, the Pacific Tsunami Warning Center in Hawaii said in its final bulletin on the event that all the tsunami watches triggered by two massive earthquakes off the western coast of Indonesia had been cancelled. The initial tsunami watch was issued after the initial 8.6 magnitude quake struck 33 kilometers beneath the ocean floor, more than 430 kilometers from Indonesia's Aceh province. So uh, you can go on and read from there, but suffice it to say that this earthquake, of course, bringing back those horrific images of the uh, Christmas 2004 disastrous earthquake in that exact same region that sparked the monstrous tsunami that killed so many people way back in 2004. And unfortunately, those wounds and those scars and those traumatic memories are all too fresh in the minds of many people in this region. So... It is certainly good to know that those tsunamis that were expected from this quake did not develop and that uh, this, the same scenes of carnage did not play, play itself out in the same way as they did before. But that brings us to the point of tonight's edition of the broadcast, because, of course, it was not uh, very long. In fact, it was just minutes after the earthquake was first announced and first started to be reported that inevitably the calls that it was Harp's fault started to come in on the Internet. And so you can go to some of the usual suspects online, and you can find uh, some of the main sites talking about the possibility of HARP having been used to trigger this earthquake. And to be fair, there is even one uh, conspiracy-minded forum, quote-unquote, online, that uh, did have someone posting about three weeks ago, perhaps uh, almost four weeks ago now, that there would be a HARP-induced earthquake in Indonesia because Indonesia is trading with Iran, and uh, the Indonesian people are getting a bit uppity and starting to riot about oil prices and the like. So he predicted, well, there must be a harp-induced earthquake there in the near future to keep the population back in line. And lo and behold, here we are, three, three and a half weeks later, and there is an earthquake. So clearly a sign that this is an harp-induced uh, earthquake perpetrated by an evil Illuminati overclass to uh, suppress the people of Indonesia. Although apparently they didn't... Uh, plan their their tsunami good enough to to actually do any damage or i guess if the, if we're taking that theory on board and again i'm not here to dismiss those types of theories or to say that those aren't fruitful lines of inquiry of course they are and of course i'm not here to tell you what to think what to believe or what not to think or what not to believe it is certainly up to each of you out there to do the research for yourself but i certainly hope that some research would be done before we start making accusations or start actually saying that this was definitely harp so i note that at least uh, one person on one of these forums that i've been looking at today has at least a bit of dry wit and uh wrote it's terrible there never used to be earthquakes before harp was invented they were unheard of 
And the saddest thing about that comment is that it took me actually looking at the emoticon to realize that the person was being sarcastic. I actually thought they were being serious for a moment. But of course, earthquakes have happened many, many times in history. And before we start immediately pointing the blame on Harp, we should at least look at the possibility that it was a natural earthquake. And so tonight we're going to start looking at the ways in which the New World Order does not control everything. Tonight on Corbett Report Radio. Radio friends, we're here live on this Wednesday night edition of the broadcast, so thanks once again for tuning in. I'm James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and it's a quotation that I'm sure many of the listeners out there have heard before if they've been listening to the alternative media for any length of time. It comes from none other than Franklin D. Roosevelt, who said, In politics, nothing happens by accident. If it happens, you can bet it was planned that way. And that's something that I, I certainly, and I certainly hope that many of the listeners out there have taken to heart to try to look for those types of things that are happening on the massive geopolitical stage that have been orchestrated to happen in a certain way, or at the very least, the reaction to whatever happens is certainly orchestrated, and there are very, very powerful forces at work trying to coordinate and manipulate events so that they fall in line with the overall agenda an agenda that uh, we have traced in, in many of the works that I've done here on this broadcast and in my podcast and other works, an agenda towards one world government and towards basically the limiting of the idea of human freedom, the attempt to really squelch that out, or in Orwell's famous phrase, the, uh, the future of humanity is a boot stamping on the human face forever. And uh, that's certainly what we're trying to avoid, and I think an important part of avoiding that future is understanding what is taking place and getting others to understand the real agenda that is unfolding. But there is a very fine line to walk between understanding that there are very powerful forces at work with ex- almost mind-boggling amounts of resources to throw at various issues who are manipulating and crafting events so that they come out one way or another, and believing that everything that happens in the world has been designed to happen that way by a malevolent force. I think it runs the risk of becoming a type of superstition along the lines of, well, I clearly broke my leg today because I didn't throw that spilled salt over my left shoulder, or something along those lines. I think we risk truly devolving in a way, taking these, the very important information that has been exposed, painstakingly exposed by numerous researchers along the lines of 9-11 truth and false flag terrorism and suppressed technology and suppressed history and uh, and the, the realms and uh, corridors of science that they don't want us peeking into, taking all of that very painstaking research and basically boiling it down to, to nothing more than a type of superstition. So that, for example, every time an earth large earthquake happens anywhere on the face of the Earth, it is clearly HARP, the High, high Active Auroral uh, Research Project of the Defense Advanced Research Project Agency uh, in Alaska. It must have been induced by HARP. And that's, of course, the refrain that we've all heard all too often in the wake of every single earthquake that's happened in the last several years 
uh, as people basically become aware of harp now they they basically see that as the uh, the ultimate and the the foregone conclusion and any any time there is a large earthquake so for of course we're talking in the wake of the indian ocean earthquakes that took place uh, yesterday for us here in japan earlier today for you and Again, people are crying harp and uh, crying it quite loudly on a lot of the alternative media forums. But just to put this into perspective, if you want, you could go and take a look at the largest earthquakes by magnitude in recorded history. Of course, a lot of them are estimates because they predate the, the actual recordings. But uh, but if you look at the top ten or most powerful earthquakes, only three of them have taken place in the time frame that harp has even existed so one might say that uh, that the idea that every large earthquake is caused by harp would be disproven by such data as that. Or, for example, the largest earthquake ever to take place on the face of the Earth that we know about was in Chile in 1960. It was a 9.5, a 9.5 earthquake that took place in Vald- Valdivia. And, uh, and you can go and read about the history of that earthquake and what took place in its wake, but uh, a 9.5 earthquake. And I will leave it to the listeners out there to ponder for themselves just how many seconds it would take for people learning of a 9.5 magnitude earthquake taking place somewhere on the Earth today to connect that to HARP. Because, well, certainly it just couldn't happen. It could not happen without some sort of high active auroral research project uh, beaming beams into the ionosphere to make this happen. And again, it's not to say, I don't want to dwell on the earthquake issue specifically, it's not to say that I don't think that there is, that there could be something to uh, harp-induced earthquakes, and it's not something that it's fruitful for people to look into. By all means, I'm not here to tell you what to say or what to think or what to look into or what not to look into. So by all means, I would point you in the direction of, well, actual data that you could then use and uh, by all means, if you want to go and prove that this uh, Indian Ocean earthquake, for example, was a harp-induced uh, earthquake, go go ahead, roll up your sleeves and, and uh, dig into the actual data that you can use to make a case like that. So I would direct you, for example, to www.harp, that's H-A-A-R-P, dot Alaska, dot edu, E-D-U, slash harp, slash data, dot H-T-M-L. And don't worry, there will be a link in the show notes for tonight's episode in case you didn't catch that. But if you go there, you will find a data index for the Harp Ionospheric Observatory. You can look at the magnetometer readings, the VHF classic rheometer readings, the Harp HF ionosonde readings, the induction magnetometer readings, the total electron content, the latitude scans of tech and scintillation, the spectrum monitor waterfall charts, the observatory weather station, etc., 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 Lots and lots and lots of data that's being recorded by HARP all the time, and you can watch it almost in real time as it's updated there. And uh, certainly I'm not claiming to be a scientist myself. I'm not saying that I have my uh, a handle on all of this data. So f- by all means, if you if you understand this data better than I do, please, by all means, please go there and, and, and teach me about it and teach me how this shows that this was a, a HARP-induced earthquake. But... Um, but from my scanning over at least uh, some of the charts, that doesn't look like any activity out of the usual in the past 24 hours. So that does raise its own set of questions, doesn't it? But again, a lot of this isn't really based on a an actual search for the knowledge or for uh, for anything that would be decidable in terms of whether or not this, this particular earthquake was caused by HARP. It, as I say, it's becoming more of a type of superstition that a lot of people rely on, a mental crutch that they can use to explain anything that's happening in the world. 
And again, I don't want to just dwell on the earthquakes, although I think that is interesting that uh, in the wake of every major earthquake over the past several years, people have immediately cried harp. But uh, this happens in a lot of other regards, too. And usually when it's based on something that is genuinely interesting and genuinely worthy of further research, like the high-frequency active auroral research program in Alaska, absolutely fascinating. And I certainly hope more people will look into it and its history and what it's capable of and how that functions. Lots and lots of very fascinating information to look into. And along those lines, there's another thing that I often talk about in my in my broadcasts, in my podcast, in my videos, and that's P-Tech, an absolutely fascinating story about a software development company in Massachusetts that was uh, infested with people who uh, were, for example, the sweetheart investor was uh, someone who was on the State Department terrorist watch list. He was a listed known terrorist, and yet this uh, P-Tech was contracting with a who's who of the uh, alphabet soup and all of the various agencies of the United States government, including the White House and NORAD and NATO and all of these other agencies. And uh, P-TECH was working with them to deliver uh, very complicated software that uh, we, would, we can certainly go into at greater length in, in other works that I've uh, pursued. But for those of you who are interested, uh, I would certainly suggest that you just type in P-TECH, P-T-E-C-H, into a search engine and start going down that particular rabbit hole. But suffice it to say, this uh, this software that P-TECH developed has been has become quite fabled, and uh, and its functionality is, uh, I think, somewhat in dispute. But certainly the suggestion is there that it can basically provide a backdoor into all sorts of systems, including even the flight controls of FAA and things like that that are... Uh, monitoring aircraft and and do lots of nefarious things because a single user with a backdoor access to to various sensitive government uh, software would obviously have an an in to commit all sorts of well very nefarious things and certainly there is the suggestion that ptech was at play on 911 but after taking that very interesting research and basically condensing it down to a bite-sized uh, some the story that people can get their handle on that P-Tech is this magic software that can do anything anywhere. People have taken that and started to run with it in ways that I think are quite frankly ridiculous. And once again, I'm not here to uh, tell you what to think, but I will point you in the direction, for example, of a Rwandan air passenger plane that was bound for Uganda back in 2009, and it crashed into the airport VIP lounge in the Rwandan capital of Kigali. And this incident ultimately resulted in the death of one passenger who actually died in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. It wasn't even the death resulting from the crash itself. So I believe that the uh, the airplane was just taxiing at the time, or it was uh, it had not really achieved altitude at any rate when it crashed into this airport lounge. And yet, literally, within hours of this happening, it had been posted on a certain conspiracy-minded website, which shall remain nameless, with the assertion that P-Tech was involved and had crashed this plane on purpose. And there were people commenting in this particular forum's thread, talking about, well, who was the passenger who was killed? It must have been some very important person, or this must have been a P-Tech test, and they were just testing their capabilities of... I guess, hacking into Rwandan air control to take this one passenger jet and slam it into a VIP lounge. The possibility that this was 
actually just an airplane crash that actually happened somewhere in the world was literally ridiculed on this thread by multiple people who were saying, of course P-TECH can control anything they want, and of course they choose some out-of-the-way airport with some nondescript plane full of people that no one's ever heard of. That's exactly how they'd go about testing this technology. Well, again, I'm not here to say that that is or isn't the case, but I am here to, to cast a quizzical eye on the assertion in the wake of everything that happens in the world, that there has to have been this malevolent force behind it. Because ultimately, what I think this is, is a part of conditioning people to give in and accept the enslavement that is coming towards them. There is no escape, because the New World Order controls everything. And when we give in to that, we lose. Stay tuned. More right after these messages. And tonight we're talking about the idea that the New World Order does not control everything. And this is an interesting idea because it's one that does not get a lot of fair play, I think, in the alternative media. We all know and we all understand that there is a coordinated agenda at play driven by very, very powerful people and organizations and institutions that have been set up specifically with the end of social engineering and social control in mind. And we all understand that history. We've been talking about it for many years now as a society, and certainly here on CorbettReport.com, we've been talking about it for years and years. We've been documenting various aspects of this, the social engineers, the the H.G. Wellses and the B.F. Skinners, and the various people who have been scientifically crafting this control grid. And then we've been looking at the very real worries from things like NSA wiretapping and eavesdropping and the fact that they're now openly admitting that they're listening into everything you say. As I say, we've been going over this for a long time and documenting the different pieces of this puzzle. And sometimes it's easy to get lost in this puzzle, as it were, and look at the individual pieces and believe the, the overall PR that they're trying to sell to us. Because the idea that there is this all-controlling, all-controlling, all-seeing, all-powerful New World Order that controls everything that happens on the planet is a very, very self-defeating idea. When we start basically giving into the idea that there's nothing that we can do to resist what's happening, there's nothing that we as individuals can do that will go against this this unbelievable, unstoppable agenda that will, will absolutely and 100% with certainty completely take over every aspect of our lives, when we give into that, we have already lost. Because ultimately, what this paradigm that we're living in right now, certainly this war on terror paradigm that was initiated most spectacularly with that mind-controlled trauma-inducing event known as 9-11, and those horrific images which were implanted into our subconscious to make sure that they could basically uh, dangle some terrorist boogeyman in front of our face and bring those emotions and those that terror back into our minds. What this all amounts to is an elaborate PR campaign for the rollout of the police state. And in a strange way, even our resistance in that against that grid is in a way playing into the strength of that police state. Because one thing that we have to understand about the rollout of this PR campaign is that they are spending 
unthinkable amounts of money and time and effort and energy and using all of their various media assets and deploying all of this psychic garbage that they're throwing at you, all of these, all of these uh, terror, pushing the terror buttons and all of this, in order to scare you, in order to put you in that box. And exactly as we were talking about with Mark Russell on this program last week, that fear box that they want to put you into is exactly the place that a lot of people are putting themselves into when they give their agency over to this new world order or whatever you want to call it, this overarching agenda, and saying, there's nothing we can do. We've already lost. It's all been planned out. Everything that happens everywhere on Earth is necessarily because of this malevolent bad force. And as I say, that starts to turn into simply superstitious thinking, and it starts to completely take out any type of agency that we have or any responsibility that we have to this information to actually do research, to actually try to connect dots, to actually look at what's happening. Because certainly, they are trying to connect the dots for us. And in certain ways, maybe they even want us to know that they are watching everything we do. They are trying to put it out there that the NSA is now openly and admittedly collecting all the data of all electronic communications going through every hub in America. Everything that you say, everything that uh, that you write or type, everything that you fax, everything that you email is being stored and scooped up and put in these databases. They want you to know that because your fear is what makes the system flourish. It's called the panopticon, the idea that because you feel that you are being watched all the time, it will actually start to affect your behavior. It will start to affect what you allow yourself to talk about in, in mixed company or when you're with, even with your friends electronically, you start to question yourself. Maybe I shouldn't be talking about this. And it's something that I've encountered time and time and time again since starting the Corbett Report. Well, aren't you scared? Aren't you afraid that they're going to put your name on a list? Well, that's exactly the point. That's exactly why we must be resisting. So in a certain way, they are the boogeymen. They are the ones who are holding out all of these these scary things that we're supposed to be uh, keeping our eyes on and never thinking about how we can overcome that, how we can even withdraw ourselves from their system in order to take our our parts, our bodies, our physical presence out of their equation altogether. So, for example, back uh, last week when we were talking to Mark Russell, I mentioned this online graphic warns of al-Qaeda's return to NYC story in the Associated Press that was picked up by Yahoo News. And what is this other than an advertisement for terrorism? Remember, the boogeyman is still out there, and they have this slick PR campaign that's put out by their As-Sahab al-Qaeda media division with all of their fancy uh, newfangled graphics and all of this. That's basically just a PR campaign for the terror state making you be afraid, making you get in, into the fetal position and go into a corner, basically just sucking your thumb and believing that all of it has already been controlled from the very beginning of time and there's nothing you can do to make a difference. And as I say, when we give in to that, when we, when we start to succumb to that mentality in a very significant way, we have already lost. So let's figure out how to regain our agency, regain control of this situation and reassert ourselves because we have not lost and the New World Order does not control everything. And on that note, we'll take another short break. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth.
program, friends. This is James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. So once again, thank you for tuning in for tonight's edition of Corbett Report Radio. As we talk about ways that the world is not completely and in all aspects controlled by the malevolent New World Order, that there are ways in which these are just a bunch of bumbling fools in and of themselves who unfortunately have vast, almost unthinkable amounts of resources to commit to their social engineering and their schemes and plans for forming their world government and eugenics depopulation schemes. But ultimately, they are fallible human beings. They do not control every aspect of what I say or do or think or what you say or do or think. And there are certainly cracks in their system of control through which we can escape. And that is the point of tonight's episode, not to get us necessarily and at all times dwelling on the fear of this system so much as understanding what we can do to counteract it. And it's a very large question to tackle, so if you'd like to get in and share your thoughts on that question, the phone lines are wide open, 1-800-313-9443. That's 1-800-313-9443. And, of course, you can also tweet your questions or comments at Corbett Report. But let's start getting more into this psychology of the people who are kowtowed into going along with the agenda because there's nothing we can do to change it. And we've heard this argument in many different ways before from a lot of the quote-unquote sheeple out there. I certainly hesitate to use that term because I don't like to basically insult the intellectually crippled for having been crippled and uh, deliberately crippled by the social engineers and others who have dumbed us down biochemically and educationally and all the other ways that we've been dumbed down. But a lot of the people out there would say, oh, you can't fight City Hall, there's there's nothing you can do to avoid death and taxes. So basically the uh, overwhelming message is it's just the way things are and there's no use fighting it. And in a weird and almost mirror image kind of way, people who are involved in alternative news and information who understand that there is a coordinated agenda and policy of enslavement going on can fall into a very similar trap. Well, there's nothing we can do. There's nothing you can do to fight it. It's the new world order. It's just always existed. It always will. It's going to have its way. So there's nothing we can do. And every time there's uh, someone slips on the banana peel, clearly it was the new world order's fault. And uh, once again, that turns into a self de- self-fulfilling and, of course, self-defeating prophecy whereby it stops people from taking their agency and actually doing something with it. So on that note, let's take a look more at how we can counteract this because this is extremely important to understand how the group psychology uh, really plays into this because, as I say, people are just used to resigning themselves to how this uh, inevitably plays out. Well, there's nothing you can do to fight City Hall. There's nothing you can do to change what's happening at the government level. And thus, we just simply have to accept it. And the interesting corollary to that is that when people do try to resist, when they do try to fight, they often get ridiculed and taken down, not by the government, not by the jackboots in their uh, SWAT team uniforms with the uh, their LRADs and all their other police state gadgets, although certainly there is that when uh, people come together en masse. But when people individually try to fight it and individually try to tell people such things as, well, taxation is force and it is not justified, or things along that line, well, people actually get angry and start to attack the person who is telling them this rather than the system that is enslaving them. And that's a key part of all of this, to get people to attack people who are going against the norm rather than attacking the system that is really puppeteering all of it. So, 
on that note, let's take a look at an interesting idea that has been put out there by various people, and it's a parable called the Parable of the Five Monkeys. It's supposedly based on a scientific experiment. Uh, I have my reservations about that, but let's, let's leave that aside for the moment. We'll come back to that after this clip. But we're going to listen to a clip of this Five Monkeys experiment, quote-unquote, talking about how people can really become enslaved, not necessarily by the malevolent New World Order or the government system or whatever it may be, but by their fellow human beings basically pulling them down and stopping them from questioning the system at all. Start with a cage containing five monkeys. Inside the cage, hang a banana on a string and place a set of stairs under it. Before long, a monkey will go to the stairs and start to climb towards the banana. As soon as he touches the stairs, all of the monkeys are sprayed with cold water. After a while, another monkey makes an attempt with the same result. All the monkeys are sprayed with cold water. Pretty soon, none of the monkeys will try to climb the stairs. Now, put away the cold water. Remove one monkey from the cage and replace it with a new one. The new monkey sees the banana and wants to climb the stairs. To his surprise and horror, all of the other monkeys attack him. After another attempt and attack, he knows that if he tries to climb the stairs, he will be assaulted. Next, remove another of the original five monkeys and replace it with a new one. The newcomer goes to the stairs and is attacked. The previous newcomer takes part in the punishment with enthusiasm. Likewise, replace the third original monkey with a new one then a fourth, then a fifth. Every time the newest monkey takes to the stairs, he is attacked. Most of the monkeys that are beating him have no idea why they were not permitted to climb the stairs or why they are participating in the beating of the newest monkey. After replacing all the original monkeys, none of the remaining monkeys have ever been sprayed with cold water. Nevertheless, no monkey ever again approaches the stairs to try for the banana. Why not? Because as far as they know, that's the way it's always been done around here. And that is how government policy is maintained. Our understanding of the horizon of what is capable of human in human experience, so that the metaphorical banana that we're reaching for, if they can get the other monkeys to pull us down and stop us reaching from that banana, they don't really have to have all of this police state gear in place. Of course, they do, and they can bring it out if need be. But all they have to do is teach the monkeys to go for anyone who's reaching for that banana. And pretty soon, people will start attacking anyone reaching for the banana, even if they don't know why they're attacking that monkey. So obviously that's a bit of a strained analogy in some ways, and it is just an analogy. This is not a scientific experiment, despite what people would have you believe. It's based on some research that was conducted by someone named G.R. Stevenson that was published back in 1967. It's from uh, a a journal article called Cultural Acquisition of a Specific Learned Response Among Rhesus Monkeys. And I'll put some notes in the show notes so that you can read more about the actual experiment, which is a far cry from that analogy with the, uh, the monkeys on the ladder. But at any rate, I think that it does serve as a good thought experiment, and I think we can understand how such a process takes place, not, of course, among monkeys, but among men and women, and how we pull each other down from reaching from the banana, and of course, in this case, the banana is human liberty, which is always within our grasp. It is 
ultimately, at the end of the day, nothing more than a conscious decision we make to be free agents and to freely associate with others and to do what we will. And the state may come along with their jackbooted thugs from time to time and try to enforce that. But if people do not go along with that, if people do not accept that, if people do not accept in their minds that they are already in the position of being beholden to the state and to the uh, the interests of the whatever law enforcement agents when their funny badges proclaim to have authority over us, if we don't believe that and if we don't accept that en masse, there's no way they could ever enforce their police state. And that, to me, is the real point. The point is that we are not, uh, the biggest fear is not to be the, the fear that we're going to be enslaved by the system so much as we are enslaved by the psychology, the mentality that is holding us back from attaining the brass ring, the, the golden banana, if you will, of freedom and liberty. There's a lot more to say on this, but we already have a caller waiting patiently on the line. Once again, if you'd like to get in on tonight's uh, broadcast, 1-800-313-9443. But let's go to your calls. We have Kevin all the way from Australia. So, Kevin, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, uh, James. Good day, mate. G'day. Yeah, that was a good parable with the monkeys. Thank you. I, I think it'll probably, it'll probably work with uh, chimpanzees. I, I can't see it working with snakes. And, uh, <laughs> and you get a lot of snakes in the grass in the government. And with a human being, um, there's a free spirit in, in every human being. And, and there's a desire to be free. And uh, that spirit uh, is put there by, by God. And, and these shysters, these globalist New, New World Order... Vermin, uh, uh, snakes... Le- leeches, 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 leeches is what, yeah. that's what they are, they're leeches. Um, they, um, you know, they're, they're having a, a good crack at destroying America right now, and I fear that America is going to take a, a lot more punishment before uh, the people, the American people actually dig their heels in and say, well, that's it. We've well, had let's, enough. let's expand on that analogy because that's a, that's a very good one. You you say leeches, which is a type of parasitical organism that feeds on the lifeblood of another creature. So I think in that exact way, we should be looking at the New World Order not as this overarching system that can control every event and, and has all of these brilliant people so much as they are leeches. And we are only afraid of leeches in the sense that we don't want to have our blood sucked and it's gross. And I guess if there were enough of them doing it all at once, it could potentially kill us. I mean, it could be lethal in that sense. But ultimately, we when we get a leech on us, we don't we don't panic and then start running for the hills and saying we're all going to die we just take some salt and put it on and get rid of the leech and that's really what this is about to me it's about understanding the nature of the enemy that we're facing which is not some godlike being that's going to crush all uh, everything that comes in our way and i think it's really that understanding that prevents us from really coming together and, and doing what you say coming together and realizing digging our heels in and saying no to what they're trying to do at the moment um the uh, you know the American people are just starting to I mean they just they did a a, a census here in Australia um, a survey on how many Australians believe that 9/11 was as it was presented by the government 79% of Australians uh, object and say we are not being told the truth in other words 80 you might say 80% of Australians do not believe the story. 
and a huge proportion of that, that 80% believe that 9-11 was an inside job. So there's only 20% that, that basically go along with the, the official story. Now, that number in the US, I'm sure it's a lot lower, but the American people are waking up with shows like yours and, and other shows as, as, they, as the truth is revealed. You know, the people aren't silly, uh, but it, it takes it. You know, it's a big pill to swallow that your government could, could murder um, 3,000 people in a, in a bunch of buildings. I mean, that's a huge pill to swallow. But once you get past that and you can see what the plan is and what they're doing... Well, plan, exactly. It's always it's about looking past the way that it's been framed. So if we frame it as saying that it is the government that has killed their own people, then that is hard to understand. But when we start talking about specific people in certain agencies who may have uh, allegiances to, to other governments or to other uh, uh, other ideals than what what's represented, and we start looking at the operational level and, and things of that nature, we start to understand this is not the government attacking in three buildings or whatever. This is something that's uh, that's much more complicated. And and thus isn't that kind of bite-sized thing that you can deliver to people that will knock down all of their preconceptions. But uh, but it's more important to be, really be understa- understanding this at a deeper level so that we can get past those mental barriers that people erect to the truth. As, as for the uh, point on um, the heart, I agree with you 100%. I don't believe for one nanosecond that the heart can do this and that and all the rest of it. I mean, if when they used to do the underground nuclear testing, effectively you'd get a drill and drill a big hole. You'd lower the um, the, the warhead, the, the explosive uh, piece into the, the ground, you'd cover it up and then you'd fire it up. And, I mean, the most massive bomb that was detonated under the ground what you'd end up with initially as, as the, uh, uh, the heat uh, melted everything around it, you'd end up with a massive pressure wave going out and, you know, you'd get a bit of a cavity under the ground and then as soon as, as, soon as the pressure disappeared, the, the ground would fall in. Now, one, how many thousands and thousands of nukes would you have to drill down in the ground to get a tiny, piddly little uh, earthquake? I mean, it's not going to happen. You know, the harp is basically uh, what they said it was or, or what they claim it to be. Um, and, I mean, of course they've tried all manner of experiments. I'm sure they're trying this and they're dropping barium in the sky and aluminum barium salts and what have you, and they're trying all kinds of things. But you know what? In the end, you've got to generate the watts. You've got to generate the power. It's just not going to happen. You keep... It's impossible. Well, let's put it this way. I don't, I don't want to say that, uh, that I know that it can or cannot do this, but I think you're right that there's a certain magical thinking that a lot of people employ that harp equals some sort of magic box which can do anything that people say that it can, basically. And uh, we even had Nick Begich, I mean, one of the first people to ever start talking about harp who literally wrote the book on harp and what it was capable of. We had him on the program a few weeks ago, and I, I asked him directly if he thought that harp was responsible, for example, for the earthquake in uh, Tohoku in Japan last year. And he said, well, it could 
potentially be, but I, I, I see no evidence to suggest that. And isn't that interesting that even the person who really propagated and originated this idea of HARP as an earthquake, a potential earthquake weapon, doesn't necessarily believe the things that people are now propounding as if they're set in stone fact. So again, I, I, I think it's interesting now scientists actually are looking at the ways that ionospheric activity preceding earthquakes can be used as a way of potentially predicting earthquakes, that is very interesting. And that came out in the wake of uh, last year's earthquake in Japan. But uh, but still, I, I don't see it anywhere near as established as a lot of people like to say that, you know, it equals harp equals earthquakes, basically. So, uh, so until I, again, until I see more hard research, and again, I'm willing to be convinced either way. It's just I don't see a lot of the hard research going on. Well, I'm, I'm with you on that one, and like, I've been uh, in mining. I don't work in mining uh, at the present time, but I know how much explosives it takes to um, tear up a million tonnes of earth for the excavators to come in and scoop it out. And it's how no small feat, absolutely. No, it takes a long time, a lot of explosives and a lot of planning. Now, a million tonnes of earth in relation to an earthquake, is nothing. It's an absolute nothing. And harp in a million years is not going to move a million tons of earth. It's not going to happen. <laughs> you, know, I'm not going to, you know, I don't believe in fairy, fairy stories. I mean, sure enough, and they probably love it. The harp, the harp people, the guys that manage to show up there, they probably love all this hocus-pocus and, and uh, you know, people claiming that... Uh, you know, it's run by an evil angel and all the rest of it, but I don't believe it. Well, exactly. It. That's I mean, that's whole... the point. The more that uh, the more that the public fears it, the more it actually plays into the agenda of control, which is really the point of tonight's episode. Anyway, Kevin, thank you so much for your call. Thank you for your thoughts. And there's still time for one more call. If you want to get in, 1-800-313-9443. We'll be back to finish up tonight's episode right after this. Radio for this Wednesday night edition of the broadcast, and we are here in the closing minutes as we've been talking about tonight. The New World Order does not control everything, and uh, David Rockefeller is not hiding under your bed at night to uh, to implant messages in your mind to control what you say or do. And uh, once again, it sounds almost silly when we start to put it into those terms, but ultimately that's what a lot of uh, the alternative media seems to fall into as a trap, a sort of default thinking, that every event that ever happens has been meticulously, carefully, methodically planned and calculated to happen that way, and that there's nothing that could ever happen in the world of any significance that has not been manipulated. And uh, to a certain extent, it certainly does serve our interests to be skeptical, to be quizzical, to never accept just someone's word for it, or to take the, the government or the mainstream media, whatever they're pushing at face value. We have to question. We have to really, uh, well, cock a quizzical eye at whatever they're trying to force-feed us. But that doesn't necessarily mean that there is always and in all times a malevolent force that is directing everything that happens in the world and when we start to think in that, in those terms and in that way, we can actually be paralyzed into inaction 
or we can be demotivated from taking any action at all. Why do you even bother? It's all controlled anyway. Why do you even bother trying to, to put this information out there? People are just going to fall for it anyway. Well, to a certain extent, there are a lot of very, very real and very important dangers that we are facing, not just as individuals, not just as a community, not just as a society, but as a civilization and even as a species. And in this age, when we're starting to start tinker with the very genome of the planet and, uh, and they're starting to really perfect drone technologies and other things that, in a very short order, could very much eliminate the need for humans in uh, military or law enforcement altogether. As science fiction as that sounds, we are in the 21st century. We are approaching uh, technologies that just could not have even been envisioned in the most ridiculous sci-fi fantasy. It is very much becoming mundane reality for us. So there are things that we do have to be concerned with. We do have to be studying and understanding the overall agenda and the characters that are behind it. But at the same time, we have to understand that there is space for each of us to insert ourselves into this and to really, uh, to really affect change, to actually do something real. And, uh, and by all means, be skeptical of myself. Be skeptical of anyone out there that you don't know in the media trying to tell you this or trying to tell you that. And uh, by all means, start your own research on this or HARP or whatever you're interested in. But just do that research honestly. And uh, each of you out there knows that you're not secretly controlled by the CIA or, or the, uh, the Mossad or, you know, David Rockefeller. You're not secretly getting uh, instructions from anyone. You're not being controlled on an individual basis. So you know your actions are right. You know your actions are true. Why don't you get out there and start really helping to spread this information that you know is true and encouraging people to get off of the matrix, to get out of the enslavement grid that they've been placed into and to start affecting real change in their life because it can be done. And on that note, I am James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. I'm, I'm an independent web journalist, so I do rely on the support and the kindness of strangers, as it were, to, uh, to basically make this work happen. If you do like the Corbett Report and the material that I provide there, Please go to CorbettReport.com, spread the word about the website, get other people involved in spreading this information. And if you want to support the work, CorbettReport.com slash support. You can buy DVDs or subscribe to my newsletter. On that note, that's it for tonight, and I will be back 23 hours from now with our old friend James Evan Pilato to go over Food World Order, and I'll be going over headlines and taking your calls. So until then, thank you for listening, and take care.